Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the K. Linen Inc. third quarter 2020 results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Christy Plaquin. Thank you. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to our 2020 third quarter results conference call. On the line with me today is Linda McCurdy, President and Chief Executive Officer. Following our remarks today, we will open it up for questions. Before we begin, I would like to remind everyone that statements made during our prepared remarks or in the Q&A portion of the conference call with reference to management's expectations or our predictions of the future are forward-looking statements. All statements made today, which are not statements of historical fact, are considered to be forward-looking statements. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing a conclusion or making a forecast or projection as reflected in the forward-looking information. Investors are also cautioned not to place undue reliance on these statements. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. Risk factors that could affect the results are detailed in the corporation's public filings. I'll now turn the call over to our CEO, Linda McCurdy, who will provide her insights and remarks on the quarter. Linda? Thank you, Christy, and uh, good morning to everyone, and thank you for joining us today for a review of the quarter. On today's call, I'll provide an update on how we're navigating through these challenging times. Uh, Christy will then detail our financial performance for the third quarter, and I'll come back to you uh, and provide you with an outlook for the balance of the year. As anticipated, the third quarter continued with unprecedented uncertainty as the result of COVID-19. I'll start with saying that I'm very proud of how our team has navigated through this very uncertain operating environment, and our strong Q3 results are a reflection of this. In terms of the highlights, I'm pleased with our third quarter results with adjusted EBITDA of $10.8 million and improvements in the adjusted EBITDA margin despite continuing to operate in an extremely challenging environment. Our teams moved very quickly to safely meet the changing needs of our customers, all while eliminating costs and adjusting to reduced customer activity. This performance reflects the resiliency of our business model and the responsiveness of our team. After a decline of 41% in consolidated Q2 2020 revenue, Compared to Q2 2019, we consolidated decrease of 24.2% in Q3 2020 compared to Q3 29, demonstrating a significant improvement from Q2 to Q3. On the hospitality front, revenue decreased by 62.7% for the quarter compared to Q3 2019 versus a decline of 92% in Q2 2020 compared to Q2 2019, 
largely the result of domestic tourism. On the healthcare front for the quarter, we've seen a significant increase in client activity on a year-over-year -year basis. For Q2, healthcare revenues were up about 1% for Q2 2020 compared to Q2 2019. And in Q3, we saw an increase quarter over quarter of 12%. This increase is coming from new customers, product conversions, increased usage, and price increases. We remain well positioned from a balance sheet and liquidity perspective with 39.5 million of additional borrowing capacity on our revolving line of credit with an additional $25 million accordion for growth purposes. As a precautionary measure, we've completed an amendment to our credit facility that provides greater financial flexibility during this challenging period, although we do not expect to need this change. Our funded debt to EBITDA at the end of Q3 remained conservative at 1.56 times. I'll now turn the call over to Christy to discuss our detailed financial results for the quarter, after which I'll return to talk about the remainder of the year. Christy, over to you. Thank you, Linda. The information we are discussing today is also highlighted in our third quarter and 2020 earnings press release, which we issued yesterday, and detailed supplemental financial information can be found on our Investor Relations website under the heading Financial Documents. In Q3 2020, approximately 76% of Cabro's consolidated revenue was generated from healthcare institutions, which is significantly higher compared to 51.1% in 2019, primarily related to the significant falloff in hospitality volume due to COVID in both Canada and the UK. For the quarter, EBITDA on an adjusted basis without the adoption of IFRS 16 decreased by 12.2% to $10.8 million, with an adjusted EBITDA margin of 21%, which was 24.6% in Canada and 2.1% in the UK. For the Canadian divisions, the corporation for the months of April, May, and July through September was eligible for the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy, or SUS that was announced by the federal government in response to the COVID-19 pandemic on March 27, 2020. The SUS program, which subsidizes a percentage of employee wages, subject to certain caps, is designed for eligible Canadian employers whose businesses have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic and is intended to help employers rehire previously laid off workers, retain existing employees, and assist Canadian businesses through the pandemic. The SUS program allowed the corporation to preserve a significant number of jobs. As a result, during the third quarter of 2020, the company recognized 2.1 million of wage subsidy, which has been netted against the respective source of expense. This includes an allocation to wages and benefits of 1.8 million, delivery of 0.2 million, and corporate costs of 0.1 million. Without the benefit of this wage subsidy, the Canadian operations would have taken available alternative actions. Year-to-date, the corporation has recognized $7.7 million of wage subsidy, which has been netted against the respective source of the expense. For the UK division, the corporation was eligible for the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme, which was introduced by the UK government on March 20, 2020, to pay approximately 80% of salaries for employees subject to certain caps who are furloughed. As a result, during the third quarter of 2020, 
the company recognized 0.7 million pounds or 1.1 million dollars of wage subsidy, which has been netted against the respective source of the expense. This includes an allocation to wages and benefits of 0.4 million pounds or 0.6 million dollars, delivery of 0.2 million pounds or 0.3 million dollars, and corporate costs of 0.1 million pounds or 0.2 million dollars. Year to date, the corporation has recognized 2.7 million pounds or 4.6 million dollars, which has also been netted against the respective source of the expense. During the quarter, the terms of the program changed to require that companies share in the cost of the program and resulted in an impact to EBITDA during the quarter and year to date with a cost of 26,000 pounds or $45,000, which represents the UK's divisions the UK division's contribution for hours and certain benefits. For greater clarity, until July, the UK division received an equivalent amount from the government that was then paid to furloughed employees, netting to no impact on EBITDA. However, starting in August, the UK division was required to make certain contributions for hours and benefits. Wages and benefits in the third quarter of 2020 decreased by 9.6 million to 17 million compared to 26.6 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue decreased by 6.2% to 33%. On a year-to-date basis, wages and benefits decreased by 24.2 million to 50.7 million compared to 74.9 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue decreased by 4.8% to 34.7%. The decrease as a percentage of revenue is primarily related to the government assistance received in the Canadian division, along with improved labour efficiencies, offset by escalating minimum wage rates and restructuring costs of $1.4 million related to COVID. Linen in the third quarter of 2020 decreased by 0.7 million to 6.4 million compared to 7.1 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue increased by 1.9% to 12.4%. On a year-to-date basis, linen decreased by 2.2 million to 18.3 million compared to 20.5 million in the comparative period of 2019 and as a percentage of revenue increased by 1.7% to 12.5%. The increase as a percentage of revenue is primarily related to the higher proportion of health care revenue and flow through of customer setup costs from the prior period. Utilities in the third quarter of 2020 decreased by 1.3 million to 2.8 million compared to 4.1 million in the comparative period of 2019 and as a percentage of revenue decreased by 0.6% to 5.5%. On a year-to-date basis, utilities decreased by 4 million to 8.5 million compared to 12.5 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue decreased by 0.8% to 5.8%. The decrease as a percentage of revenue is primarily related to lower utility costs in British Columbia as a result of a temporary natural gas shortage during the first quarter of 2019, lower commodity costs, and operational measures to offset the impact of COVID-19. Delivery in the third quarter of 2020 decreased by 2 million to 5.1 million, compared to 7.1 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue decreased by half a percent to 10%. 
On a year-to-date basis, delivery decreased by 5.6 million to 15.7 million, compared to 21.3 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue decreased again. The decrease as a percentage of revenue is primarily related to government assistance received, in addition to management's efforts to offset the impact of COVID-19 in the delivery operations of each plant through temporary reductions in the delivery labor force, logistics, and delivery route optimizations. Offset by fixed costs, which remain constant regardless of the reduction in volume resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic, and price increases from renewals of outsourced freight contracts. Occupancy costs in the third quarter decreased by 0.2 million to 0.9 million, compared to 1.1 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue increased by 0.2% to 1.8%. On a year-to-date basis, occupancy costs decreased by 0.7 million to 2.6 million compared to 3.3 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue remained relatively constant at 1.8%. This includes fixed costs that remain constant regardless of the reduction in volume resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic, offset by rent concessions received in certain plants in the UK in the amount of half a million dollars recorded in the second quarter of 2020. Materials and supplies in the third quarter decreased by 0.4 million to 1.9 million compared to 2.3 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue increased by 0.3% to 3.7%. On a year-to-date basis, materials and supplies decreased by 0.8 million to 5.2 million compared to 6 million in the comparative period of 2019 and as a percentage of revenue increased by 0.4% to 3.6%. The increase as a percentage of revenue is primarily related to additional personal protective equipment required as a result of the pandemic and one-time cost recoveries in 2019. Repairs and maintenance in the third quarter of 2020 decreased by 0.4 million to 1.8 million, compared to 2.2 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue increased by 0.2% to 3.5%. On a year-to-date basis, repairs and maintenance decreased by 1.1 million to 5.4 million compared to 5.6 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue increased by 0.3% to 3.7%. The increases up as a percentage of revenue is primarily related to fixed costs that remain constant regardless of the reduction in volume resulting from the pandemic and timing. Corporate costs in the third quarter of 2020 increased by 0.1 million to 2.8 million compared to 2.7 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue increased by 1.5% to 5.4%. On a year-to-date basis, corporate costs decreased by 0.3 million to 7.8 million compared to 8.1 million in the comparative period of 2019, and as a percentage of revenue increased by 1% to 5.3%. The increase as a percentage of revenue is primarily related to a provision for bad debt expense of half a million, restructuring costs of half a million, timing of initiatives to support the corporation's growth and business strategy across the plant, and offset by government assistance received. Depreciation 
of property, plant, and equipment, and amortization of intangible assets represents the expense related to the appropriate matching of the corporation's long-term assets to the estimated useful life and period of economic benefit of those assets. Income tax includes current and future income taxes based on taxable income and temporary timing differences between the tax and accounting basis of assets and liabilities. Now, looking at our capital resources, distributable cash flow for the third quarter of 2020 was 11.1 million and our payout ratio was 29%. In addition, the company paid out 0.3 per share in dividends during the quarter for total consideration of 3.2 million. The corporation had net working capital of $43.1 million at September 30, 2020, compared to its net working capital position of $31 million at December 31, 2019. The change in cash from operations is primarily due to the change in working capital items driven mainly from the timing of business activity and the impact of COVID-19, particularly timing of collection of health care receivables which were delayed due to the pandemic. Of the increase attributable to the accounts receivable, approximately 10 million of this was received during October. At September 30, 2020, total assets decreased to 338.6 million compared to 352.1 million at December 31, 2019, and total liabilities decreased to 149 million from 156 million. Shareholders' equity decreased at September 30, 2020 from December 31, 2019 to $189.6 million from $196.1 As far as our debt is concerned, we have sufficient room on our credit facility with an operating line of $100 million with a further $25 million accordion for growth purposes. As of the end of Q3, we have an undrawn balance of close to $40 million reinforcing our strong liquidity. During the second quarter of 2020, we completed an amendment to our existing revolving credit facility, which made changes to certain terms and conditions within the agreement in consideration of the ongoing pandemic and the impact to our operations. These included an increased funded debt to EBITDA covenant for the period of September 30, 2020 to June 30, 2021, which gradually allows for a maximum funded debt to EBITDA ratio of four and a half times for Q4 2020 and Q1 2021, including, including certain one-time addbacks to EBITDA. As Linda stated, our current debt to EBITDA ratio was 1.56 for the quarter. A reduction, it also included a reduction to the fixed charge covenant for the period of September 30, 2020 to June 30, 2021, which reduces to a maximum of 1.1 times. Our current ratio is 9.3 times. A restriction on any further dividend increases during the covenant relief period of July 1, 2020 to June 30, 2021 also exists. As we pre mentioned previously, we did this for cautionary reasons, and we don't expect to need this change. Debt to total capitalization for the quarter ended September 30, 2020 was 23.9%, and the corporation's unused revolving credit facility was $39.5 million. Total debt increased in the quarter from $56.4 million to $59.3 million, and was mainly due to the timing in collections of accounts receivable, as noted earlier. We continue to monitor and aggressively pursue accounts receivable collections 
At this point, we do not anticipate that there will be material receivables which are uncollectible, which have not already been provided for. I'll now turn things back over to Linda for additional commentary. Linda? Thank you, Christy. So we began 2020 in a position of strength with the first two months of 2020 consolidated adjusted EBITDA without the adoption of IFRS 16 at $1.8 million higher compared to the same period of 2019, and revenues were up 5.6% for the same period. However, when COVID-19 hit in mid-March, we saw a rapid decline. In order to address the adverse effects of COVID-19, we had to quickly react to implement plans to mitigate the effects, including consolidating operations, reducing headcount, and accessing available government assistance programs. We are proud of our team, of our highly experienced team, and they've been crucial in managing the situation. And in combination with our proven operating model, we'll continue to leverage our experience for the challenges ahead. These actions have resulted in results that we're quite pleased with given the circumstances. While Q3 revenue was down 24.2%, it marked a notable improvement over the 41.3% recorded in Q2. Beginning in Q3, we saw consolidated healthcare revenues exceed previously recorded amounts compared to prior year with a year-over-year increase of 12.6% for the quarter. Consolidated hospitality revenue remained subdued compared to previous years, but also showed improvement over Q2, largely due to domestic tourism. So all in all, we're quite pleased with the recovery, the recovery we experienced in the quarter and the pro- positive trajectory of our healthcare business. While client activity on the hospitality front is still well below historical norms, the increases we experienced resulted in the reopening of, of all of our operations with the exception of our Perth plant in Scotland, as well as increasing the days and hours of operations in all of our plants. We have successfully recalled employees to meet these increased demands and will continue to adjust production schedules as demands warrant. In terms of our 2020 outlook, while we saw a market improvement in both healthcare and hospitality segments relative to the prior quarter, it's very difficult to predict what revenue will look like for the balance of the year given the uncertainty in the hospitality segment. For example, we do anticipate that as we move into Q4 to see declining client activity when compared to September's activity levels and year-over-year due to reduced business and international travel that is common in this quarter and because of the recent restrictions that are being implemented in both Canada and the UK with COVID cases on the rise. As a guideline for October, we estimate a decline of approximately 60% when comparing October 20 to October 2019. Having said that, I'm still comfortable saying that consolidated adjusted EBITDA margin before the adoption of IFRX 16 for the year will be in the range of 12 to 16%. On the customer front, Uh, We're pleased to announce during the quarter that we were awarded a five-year extension to provide healthcare laundry and linen services to part of the Lower Mainland in British Columbia until November 2025. The contract extends the existing relationship between CABRO and business initiatives and support services for Vancouver Coastal Health, Fraser Health, Providence Healthcare, and Provincial Health Services. We remain well positioned from a balance sheet and liquidity perspective, as Christy discussed, 
In addition, a strong concentration of our Canadian revenue is from the healthcare sector at approximately 70%. We're continuing to monitor our situation carefully and will consider any and all actions, including any opportunities that will allow us to come out of this downturn in a stronger market position. We continue to evaluate other acquisitions in both the UK and Canada as we execute on our strategy to grow our market share, and this will continue as we move forward in 2020 and 2021 when current market conditions may lead to opportunistic situations for us. With respect to our dividend, uh, we continue to determine that the best policy is to maintain our dividend at 10 cents per share. As we stated in the last quarter, we don't have a single metric that determines our dividend policy, but given our expectations for Q4, we do not believe it necessary or prudent to change. Obviously, the situation is fluid with both healthcare and especially hospitality volumes much more uncertain than usual. As such, we'll regularly re-examine our dividend policy, and if our performance or outlook changes, then we'll consider whether any changes in dividend policies is warranted. And finally, we remain committed to the safety of our employees, customers, and communities, and we have put in place strict policies to do our part to minimize the potential, potential spread of the virus. This is of utmost importance, and we will continue to ensure that all measures are in place to protect their safety, and we continue to exceed all public health recommendations. I'll now turn it over uh, to answer any questions you have with regards to the quarter. Great, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, you may press the pound key. Pre sorry, press the pound or hash key. Uh, please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. And your first question in queue here comes from the line of Michael Glenn from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hey, good morning. Um, Linda, can you just dig into your this this 12.6 percent growth you're seeing in the canadian healthcare business you're highlighting uh the, this um this um reusable versus disposable uh tailwind that you're seeing can you maybe just give a little bit more context to that and how you see that playing out over over the next few quarters yeah so i mean i think we've what we've said is in the bucket of the 12%, we, we're, there's obviously price increases. There's uh, new and temporary customers that fall into that. And then a bucket of increased usage and conversions. And, and it's a little bit hard to parse between increased usage and conversions um, because we know we've converted some hospitals to a reusable product. But what we don't know is how much of that usage will be a permanent conversion and how much is simply because there's more usage because there's COVID cases and there's additional precautions. I would say that, you know, the increased usage and conversions amount to about 60% of the 12% increase. And what's unclear, I mean, if I had to guess, I would say at least half of that would be permanent. Okay. Um, and then just on the hospitality side of the business, can you describe your, your – you're seeing some fluctuations um, potentially in terms of how volumes trend in that business. Like In those plants, 
on the that are focused on hospitality how what's your ability how quickly can you flex the um the labor force to to respond to these volume changes Michael, I think this is where we do a very good job of managing the cost structure. Two things. I don't think we will see anything as dramatic as what we saw in Q2, where there was a decline of you know, 90%, where we had to react very, very quickly and very severely to reduce the cost structure. Um, and you know, conversely, in Q3, we very quickly had to ramp up. Uh, and most dramatically in the UK, where hotels really only opened up in mid-July. So I, I'm not really concerned about our ability to flex as volumes decline for Q4. Um, and again, evidenced by what we were able to accomplish in Q2 and subsequently in Q3. We have made some structural changes, permanent structural changes. I think we're kind of at the end of the road. Uh, uh, of the permanent changes, and now it really becomes a um, process of as we see volumes declining in reducing the hours of of work and and employees' schedules accordingly. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll thanks for taking the questions. I'll jump back into queue. Thanks, Michael. Your next question comes from the line of Paul Blanke with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hello and good morning. Um, you, morning, Paul. Uh, disclose, morning. Uh, you disclosed that uh, your October healthcare revenue uh, was still up 12% year over year. Um, and I recognize you know, that it's highly uncertain and there's, there's a lot of moving pieces. Uh, but I'm curious what you've heard more recently from your healthcare clients, how we should be thinking about the remainder of Q4, uh, given rising COVID hospitalizations and um, again, the postponement of elective surgeries in some regions. Um, would you expect, you know, some softening relative to October um, as we kind of go through November, December here? So I think we we may see some softening from the 12%. I think it may come down a couple percentage points, but it's not all going to disappear, A, because there are still a significant number of you know, COVID test sites, temporary test sites that will exist. Um, again, back to my earlier commentary, because there has been a true conversion from a disposable product to a reusable product, there will be a permanent increase to some extent going forward. So I, I'm pretty confident that the increase for the remainder of the year will be, you know, high single digits. And of those high single digits, at least half of that is permanent. Okay, that's very helpful. Um, and I, I saw in your disclosures um, that the timing of your of the collection of uh, your healthcare receivables uh, has been delayed due to the pandemic. Um, what what exactly is going on there, and do you see any risk there? No. No. Uh, oh, go ahead, Kirsty. No, it, it was just an administrative backlog at, at a particular health authority, and for the most part, it's all fully collected now. It truly just was a timing issue. Okay, that's that's great. Um, and and maybe one more, um, the the Canadian wage subsidy. Um, what what would be your expectations 
uh, for Q4. Um, would you expect a similar amount relative to Q3? I think that, you know, it's, it's an extremely complicated formula. It's, there's obviously ceilings as to how much per employee uh, you are eligible for. It's also determined by your change in revenue. I don't think that we will be based on our view of volumes on the hospitality and healthcare front. I don't, and the way the program has changed, I don't think we'll be eligible for the same amount as Q3. I think it'll be substantially less, but there still will be some eligibility. Okay. Um, and just following on that, uh, you know, you state that without this wage subsidy, you would have taken additional action. Um, you know, to what do you, do you think you would have been able to find, uh, you know, an additional 2.1 million in cost savings this quarter um, without this program? Because would, would you be to able to? Yeah. 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 Sorry. I understand the question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we definitely would have taken some amount of additional action. I think it's too aggressive to say that we would have reduced $2 million of additional cost. Okay, fair enough. Um, thank you very much. I'll turn it over here. Your next question comes from the line of Andre Leno with National Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, uh, good morning, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, uh, a couple uh, for me, I mean, most have been uh, asked and answered, uh, but uh, in terms of the increases in the healthcare for the quarter, I mean, you mentioned there was also a bit of a price increase. I was wondering if you were able to quantify uh, what percentage of that growth uh, came from price. About, I'd say somewhere between 15 and 20 percent. Great, uh, thank you. Uh, and the next uh, question, uh, and uh, congrats on renewing uh, the, the, the contract uh, in BC. Uh, I was wondering, are there any other contracts? I mean, I, I see there are several up for renewal in BC in 2020, but are there any outstanding for the remainder of the year? Uh, and have you had any uh, discussions uh, with the Ontario ones uh, anyways for 2020 and even a little bit into 2021? Um, so there have been a number that uh, come up in 2020. A lot of them have been uh, extended on a short-term basis to not distract from uh, all attention that is being focused on COVID. Um, so that that's what I would say with regards to uh, anything that has come up for 2020 that has not been renewed. Uh, and then there's a series of contracts, obviously, that come up in 21, uh, the largest of which is obviously the Calgary Health Region, AHS Calgary, Calgary Region. Uh, uh, great, thank you. Uh, and uh, are you able or, or can you uh, quantify... Uh, what sort of a percentage revenue was, uh, came from the BC uh, renewals? Like how much would that contribute to revenues? Um, we haven't disclosed the revenue okay. uh, as it relates to that actually, Andre. Okay, no, no, that's fine, thank you. Uh, and uh, the last question for me, on the Alberta Rural Volumes RFP, uh, what are your timeline expectations? I mean, I, I know the RFP I think closes on December 1st, but uh, how quickly do you think the province responds uh, to that and where can we get some uh, 
uh, resolution or, or uh, news from there. So here's, you know, I'll make this general comment about AHS's RFP. You know, while it is a public document, there is an implied confidentiality obligation as a bidder, and I obviously want to be very respectful of that. Um, you know, it is, it is a public document. It was released uh, on October 23rd, and it is a provincial-wide uh, RFP, which includes all of the rurals, Edmonton and Calgary. You know, they have uh, outlined in the RFP a timeline uh, as to when they think the, the process will conclude, which is in the spring of 2021. I think part of the answer to your question, Andre, is, you know, what, what does the award look like and what are the transition timescales that are negotiated between supplier and AHS? Okay, uh, great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Justin Keywood with Stiefel GMP. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Good morning and thank you for taking my questions. Good morning, Justin. Just had a, a clarification question on the lower mainland uh, BC contract. Uh, how much did that represent of total sales? Um, we have not disclosed. We have several contracts uh, in BC, and I would say uh, as a healthcare contracts in BC, we haven't disclosed the exact percent. I would say it's the smaller uh, part of our BC business as it relates to contract value. Okay. But we haven't and actually disclosed the percentage of revenue. Okay, understood. And was that contract renewed at similar terms as prior? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then on the M&A, uh, I think there was some mention of this in the opening uh, remarks. I was just wondering if you could provide some additional color on what you're seeing there as far as the appetite for uh, potential sellers in the market and if uh, valuation expectations have changed at all, uh, just given the current environment. Yeah, you know, here's what I would say. Um, it, it is a very difficult time for straight hospitality players. There is no question. And so we know that it, there is a, a, a permanent or a significant impact to their business. And, you know, from the discussions that we have, I would say that many of them at this point are being propped up, obviously, by government subsidy programs. And part B to that is many of them are looking at their business and saying, I think we just have to put a pause on this uh, until there's brighter days so that we can um, experience a fuller valuation for our business because at the current levels, I don't think they're uh, being very attracted to, or put a different way, they want the valuation of their business based on normal activity and based on better numbers. So I don't think the opportunity, I do believe the opportunity remains and continues. I think um, some of the operators are looking for more stability in the business at this point. So for me, it's more a question of timing versus whether there is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And would it be primarily on the hospitality side, or are there um, any opportunities on the healthcare side, either in Canada, UK, or 
other regions? You know, in some cases, there's still an element of hospitality, so they're, they're mixed operators. So I would say there is um, still the pause button that's being hit temporarily. Um, and in terms of straight healthcare players, you know, we haven't seen any real activity at this point. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you for taking my questions. You bet. Your next question comes from the line of Faraz Ahmad from Laurentian. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, just to had a question on, um, have you seen any progress uh, in the long-term care industry? And has anything changed uh, since we spoke about it last quarter? Um, we, we've, we continued in Q3 to do some temporary service. Um, I, I would say, again, the opportunity definitely exists and it's an area of focus for us. I would say that people, especially as we're entering in Q3, again, the focus becomes on increased cases and managing the pandemic, but many of the potential uh, facilities that we're in discussions with, I believe will ultimately make a change. But again, you know, as we've seen cases rise all across Canada, the focus very much continues to be keeping that under control. Okay, that's helpful. Um, and I just wanted to circle back on the on the price increases you mentioned in the uh, in the healthcare business. Is that directly as a result of cost increases that you're experiencing? Those would be just annual escalators that come okay. into place during uh, contract anniversary dates. So there would be no additional um, price increases as the result of COVID, for example. Okay. And I guess on the cost side, have you seen an increase due to additional precautions that you might have to take on the healthcare side? There really wouldn't be anything material. Um, all of our operations will have been managed, assuming that all of the linen that we touch is contaminated, whether it's COVID, whether it's any other type of infectious disease. So our process is very much um, were in place to handle an outbreak like this. I, I would say there has been um, minor incremental costs in terms of temperature checks at the beginning of the day, a um, little more social distancing in the plants, but it, it's not really material. Okay, great. And then just also on the M&A environment, um, thanks for the additional color on that. I uh, just wanted to clarify, Within the different uh, businesses within the UK and, and Canada, are you seeing a little bit of a, a difference in terms of, um, I guess, the the support that a lot of these businesses, particularly in hospitality, are receiving from the government, and then whether that kind of extends out how long they can go um, in this environment? There, there is definitely a difference in the retention schemes as we see in between Canada and the UK. I would say, um, which the UK programs are quite similar to other European programs, I, I would say that in Canada they are uh, more flexible and, and cover a larger percentage of the cost. So I think we will see, uh, as the pandemic continues, 
in the UK, it, it will continue to be much more difficult for hospitality players than it would be in, in Canada, for sure. Okay, and that should, I guess, lead to perhaps uh, more timely opportunities uh, in the UK. That, I think that's a fair assumption. Okay, great. That's helpful. Thank you very much. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, if there are any further questions, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Michael Glenn from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Oh, thanks. Um, Linda, the, the new and short-term customers that you're you're talking about, um, is is this predominantly long-term care or is, is there something else in the mix there? It, it's a bit of a mix, Michael. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say it's, it, it's a combination of both. Okay. And any, any regions in particular where um, that might be uh, a more elevated activity? You know what? I, uh, I would say Ontario, uh, we have seen some, some additional requirements for our service and uh, Alberta as well. So those two would be the primary markets. Perfect. Thank you. And I'm not showing any further questions in the queue at this time, so we'll turn the call back over to Linda McCurdy for any closing comments. That's great. So I just want to thank everyone for your participation today. And if there's any additional questions, Christy and I are available. So uh, have a great day, everyone. And ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.